revealed yourself to us, both in your word and through your Son especially. Lord, we ask for the help of your Spirit to uh, discern and to understand and to apply what this passage means for us this morning. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Looks like we're okay. Okay. All right. How do you want to grow this year? Now, we've already talked a little bit about New Year's resolutions uh, this morning. I can tell from attendance this morning, not everyone resolved to go to the gym this morning, which is a good and bad thing, but good that you're here. Some of us want to grow in wisdom. Some of us want to get wiser. Some of us want to grow thinner. Um, Some of us want to do more unrealistic things like grow taller or shorter. Some of us want emotional growth. Some of us want financial growth. Very few of us this morning will be sitting here and saying, I am 100% satisfied and complete in who I am. I don't want to grow in any area of my life. I've got it all sorted. Well, if you're that person here this morning, if you're thinking that way, at least you know of someone else who might need growth. So we all need, we all see the need for growth, don't we? And there's different ways in which we look at that. You know, some of us do want to grow in this way or that way. As we look at it spiritually, though, how do you want to grow spiritually this year? How do you want to grow spiritually in reliance on God in the coming year? Perhaps there's a certain area of your life you want to change in. You know you need to change. Whether it's turning from certain patterns of behaviour, whether that's even sinful patterns, if we're honest and own that it's sin, or just bad habits and patterns. You know you need growth in that area, in that context of your life. But you're unsure of which steps to take in order to get there. You're prepared to come to church on the first day of the year. You're even prepared probably to, you really want to open God's word. You want to be in prayer. You want to be in worship with other believers. You want to commit to growing in your faith. But... But as much as those things you are determined to make priorities, how will they help you live a godly life? How will that give you what you need for life and godliness? The next three weeks, we're going to take a very brief skim through to Peter. Uh, We're going to look at this theme of growth. How do we grow? And over that, not just for believers and those who follow Jesus, but also for those who maybe don't follow Jesus, those who don't know Jesus. How, some ways when we look at this little letter of 2 Peter, are ways we can grow in knowing Jesus, whether we've known him for a long time or know him very little. This first week we want to think about how do we grow in reliance on God, his divine power and his great and precious promises. How do we grow in reliance on God? Next week we want to think about how we grow in discernment, in discerning the true word of God from all the false and deceptive things that surround us. And then we want to look at growing and understanding God's grace and knowing Jesus in light of Jesus' return. So over three weeks we want to think about growth. And I'm not just talking about any growth. Growth can be a very sub- subjective thing. It can be a person, very personal thing. 
some of you are sitting here, I need to grow in this area, some will say I need to grow in that area. It's hard to compare if you're growing or not, if you're comparing yourself to someone else. You see them doing something, maybe I'll give that a go, maybe that'll work for me. As much as growth can be subjective and personal, those, these next three weeks, we want to make sure we have one goal, one aim that we measure our growth by, and that is, are we becoming more like Jesus? Are we becoming more like him? Do we know better today than we did yesterday how the truth of Jesus and what he's done for us helps us live our lives? Do we know that? That's how we will know if we're growing or not. Or do we even desire to be more like Jesus? A bit of context about uh, two Peter, because these are big things that we're talking about, we're talking about growth, and we're talking about wanting to be like Jesus. And they're big things to aim for, but Peter's heart for the early church and the Christians he was writing to in the first century were these exact things, that they would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. That's what verse 18 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter tells us. That is the aim of Peter's writing. There is one message he wants to get clear, that those he's writing to would grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus. This is necessary, very necessary, not just for the people Peter was writing to, but uh, where he says to them, this is necessary so you don't get deceived, so you don't lose your stability in life, so you keep progressing, you keep growing. To Peter, written after 1 Peter most likely, Um, probably written several years, maybe five, six, seven years, not quite sure of the time. Some of the context in which Peter's writing into remains exactly the same as we've been looking through 1 Peter. These believers were suffering. If anything, their suffering has increased. The attack on Christians in this time was increasing. But Peter's message in 2 Peter, as opposed to his first letter, is a little bit different in the sense of his tone, his theme, He has an urgent final message for them. As we read this morning, as Diane read for us, he knows he doesn't have long left in this life to live. Jesus has revealed to him that he's about to leave this life. And the main thrust that he wants to share with him is a warning, with the people he's writing to, is a warning that they wouldn't fall into the errors of false teaching that they would know what it is to live holy and godly lives, knowing that Jesus is coming back. And the path to living holy lives, he says, is through the knowledge of Christ. Through the knowledge of Christ. It's a theme he repeats about six or seven times through these three short chapters, the knowledge of Christ. So he opens up his letter and he's addressing it to people who have equal standing, equal standing of faith with him in Christ Jesus righteousness and any who trust in Jesus have this standing they can rely that on the truth that Jesus has made them right with God they can rely on God's power they can rely on his promises but if you're anything like me as you try and live your life especially as you try and live a life that honors God in this world you realize this is an area you need to grow in I need to grow in my reliance on God's power and his promises. So that's what we want to look at this this week. And first I want to think of the problem that we have. 
the problem that we have because we all need to grow. So why don't I rely on God's power and promises? Why don't I rely on God's power and promises? What's the problem? And I think it's that we forget the gospel. And this is what Peter is gonna point out for us. Now there's all different situations and scenarios in life where you might feel uh, overwhelmed, you might feel underprepared, uh, that you're not quite ready to take something on. It could be something that you've studied for, not this time of year, thankfully, or a deadline at work, again, usually not this time of year. It could be a quota, you know, you, it's gonna be impossible to reach. Something beyond your capabilities, whether that's an unruly child, whether that's a difficult spouse, whether that's a, uh, a bad habit we can't break, whether it's a diagnosis we just know we can't handle. We're all gonna come up with things in our lives that are difficult, that we can't overcome, that we can't deal with on our own. And our default <coughs> reaction to these, sorry, <coughs> moments is usually one of two responses. We usually try and, and figure it out ourselves. We try and work our way out of it. We're gonna solve our own problem. We'll fix it ourselves. Or the other response is we can't do anything about it, so we just give in. We go the path of least resistance. Whatever is the easiest thing to do. Both of those are dangerous. Both of those are dangerous in the sense of when we take those options, it means we're not relying on God and the resources he's given. And we certainly won't grow. And Peter lists all these qualities that he says should be ours and increasing if we're in Jesus. But if we're relying on ourselves to fix something or relying on just the situation never being able to change, then we're not going to grow in faith, we're not going to grow in virtue, we're not going to grow, thank you, in knowledge and self-control, all these things that he lists. And we might well be tempted to go, well, that's, that's it, it's just the way it has to be. I have to put up with this life circumstance, this situation that I can't overcome because I can't do it. I can't overcome it. And we listen to voices maybe even that, that tell us, well, you'll get there, you, you can do it. Just, just change this little thing over here and this little thing and just change your thinking. They're just some minor behavioral modification and you'll be right. You will get it done. More power to you, just love yourself a little bit more. <clears throat> We're gonna unpack a bit more of that next week in the sense of false teaching always removes what we need for life and godliness. It always removes reliance on God. It always removes the necessity of the gospel. Peter knew this, Peter knew this. And he writes this epistle, this little letter to remind believers of what they first heard. I don't know if you picked up on it as Diane read it from verse nine down to verse 12. He's saying you've forgotten something. You need to be reminded of something. I'm gonna keep reminding you and even after I'm dead, I'm gonna find a way that you can recall these things, that you should have these qualities. This is our biggest problem. We forget the gospel. 
our biggest problem sometimes as those who want to follow Jesus and, and want to live godly lives and grow to be full of life in Jesus and have the fruit of the Spirit as we talk about is not so much a lack that well, we need a saviour, we've got that. You know, we sort of think, well, I was, I was in sin, I needed a saviour, now I have Jesus, now I'm sorted. And then we forget that we were cleansed from our sins, that we've been forgiven. And Peter stresses this. He says, you f- think you've forgotten. You have forgotten that you're cleansed from your former sins. Paul Tripp terms that as a gospel amnesia. We forget what we should really know. We know what was done for us in the past. We even know in some ways what is coming for us in the future. Jesus is returning, we'll be glorified, all those things. But here and now, we don't really need the gospel. We forget about it. We rely on our own power and strengths to get us through. But the problem with that is is not just a problem of we've overlooked the resources of God's divine promises, sorry, God's divine power and promises. We're trusting ourselves, but we've overlooked our new identity and who we are. If I am a child of God, and that's what you are if you've come to believe in Jesus, the gospel isn't just one little area of my life, it is my life. It's the lens through which I view my whole life. Not just part of it, but everything. Everything. When Jesus takes up residence in us, which is what happens when we invite him in to be our Lord, nothing remains the same. Nothing. But too often we spend time, rightly, celebrating our salvation, that we've been saved from our sins. But for help in those moments of life when we're overcome... Those moments of life when we're, we're desperate and we're incapable of solving our own problems, when it's help with my marriage, when it's help with my parenting or my relationships with the, the issues I have with sex, money, fear, addictions, decisions, choices in life, we don't look at the gospel. We Google. We read blogs and articles. We read self-help books. And we, we sort of narrow in on a specific area that we think this is going to sort out my issue because this is the issue I have. And once I get to the bottom of this and research everything I possibly can on this, I'll have the answer. But in that, as much as some of those things might give us tips or help in minute ways, we've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten that we have this massive warehouse, a massive warehouse of of resources to call upon. We think we're poor when we're really rich. We think there's there's something that we, we need that we haven't found yet. There's some secret message somewhere in here that if we dig hard enough into some obscure text or some obscure aspect of theology, we'll find it or we'll debate or argue about certain things thinking once we reach the point where we find the solution, we'll fix our lives, we'll sort ourselves out. And Peter says that doesn't 
work. You don't, you're not increasing in these qualities. They might not even be yours. You've forgotten you've been cleansed from your sins. Those who are blind, he says, don't look, they don't look back to their conversion as a, a moment of, wow, what a wonder that I have that resource to call upon. I've been cleansed from my sins. So his sins I do now need cleansing, need repenting of. I want to increase in my qualities of, of godliness and holiness. Those who are nearsighted only look at what's in front of them. They don't consider what has been done or what is to come. As believers, those who follow Jesus, we live in this in-between stage of the two comings of Jesus. And that's where the life of the believer is meant to be lived with a really thorough and good understanding of the two comings of Jesus. If we're going to grow in our lives, we look back and take great strength in what God has provided and we look forward knowing when Jesus returns, I want to be found in him. I want to be found faithful. I want to be found effective. I want to be found fruitful and I need God to help me with that. Maybe an illustration of that just because it happened here this morning, it made me think of it. We move too quickly from the gospel like some people move too quickly from Christmas. You see the stage is bare. Maybe your home is already bare. And that's okay, I'm not gonna judge you. <coughs> but we give the incarnation of Jesus maybe a small sliver of our calendar in the year, the smallest. And even then, a really minute part of actually doing something about worshipping and glorifying God for what he's given us in his son, the eternal son of God putting on flesh and coming to live with us, God with us, Emmanuel, but we'll pack it up the day after, the week after. For those of us of the other position, maybe it's just mess. <laughs> maybe just leave the tree up to remind you that Jesus entered your mess. And if you're really going to follow that path, you can leave it up to Easter because that's when he sorted it all out. <laughs> but we move on too quickly sometimes. We move on too quickly. So to avoid forgetting the gospel, to avoid this gospel amnesia, to avoid blindness, unfruitfulness, to avoid ineffectiveness, to avoid lack of growth or stunted growth as of one who follows Jesus. We need to remember what Jesus has done for us. And we need to remember so we can grow in these qualities. These qualities are yours and increasing and they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. This requires effort Peter says in verse 14, make every effort. It requires diligence in verse 10. Make, sorry, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. There is great effort involved in this. God has saved us, that is his work, but we are to be found in him as his people. And that requires us to work this out 
to confirm it, to be obedient. So we can practice these qualities. C.S. Lewis once said that those who think the Christian story ends at conversion know very little of Christianity. Those who think the Christian story ends at conversion know very little of Christianity. How desperately we need to grow in our reliance on the gospel. How desperately. If that was the problem, that we've forgotten the gospel and we need to be reminded of it, let's focus in on verses three and four especially that we look at the resource, how we can grow in holy living by relying on God's power and promises. When you think of growth in general, even biological growth, uh, nearly all growth is dependent on an outside source for that growth. Now, you think of a plant, a plant might have the identity of a plant. Don't ask me to name certain plants. I'm not good with that sort of thing. If it has fruit, it might be more of a chance of me naming it. But it has an identity as a plant. That might be what it's uh, supposed to grow. It's supposed to have this kind of leaf or that kind of fruit or produce. But it would be dead. It is dead, technically, without water, something to bring it to life, without the proper nutrients in the soil, the right amount of light. Now, we have several indoor plants in our home, all of which we treat as if they need no external help for growth. We forget to water them, we forget to give them light. And yet we get surprised when they start dying or failing to thrive. Our spiritual lives are the same. Before Christ, we have this identity, we are sinners, we are dead in our sins. When we come to faith in Christ, when God saves us, we're given a new identity as children of God, as heirs with Christ. But our spiritual lives are the same as those plants. Without the source of life, they will shrivel up. They'll become unfruitful. They'll become useless, ineffective. And Peter leaves no doubt to all those who wish to follow Jesus and grow in effectiveness, grow in fruitfulness, about where they can find what they need to do that. It begins with God, his divine Power, his great and precious promises, his provision provides us all we need for life and godliness. Nothing else can equip us to live godly lives and holy lives except God, except his divine power and his great and precious promises. And he's calling believers everywhere to know that you have been granted in God everything you need, everything you need. If you're not someone who underlines your Bible, that's okay, but there's one word in the Bible that you should underline, or two words, all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus is enough. That's all you will need for your salvation, for your life, 
to grow in holiness, to be ready for when Jesus returns. All you need is the knowledge and experience of him. As we'll look at more next week, not only is Christ enough, not only is God enough, his word is enough. We're going to see next week that we haven't followed clever myths or fables. We have a sure word that is enough. The power we need to change comes from him alone. And we know well the pull of the world, the pull of, of sin, even the temptation to do things that we know that go against what God would have us do. We know the problem of suffering as well, that things happen to us because of the sin of others or even the sin in the world. These are, are powerful things that often feel like they're going to overcome us. So we're going to need a greater power to combat those things that we face, those things that pull us. We need power. We need divine power. We need great and precious promises. We don't need tips. We don't need checklists. We don't need strategies. Some of those things might bring about some minor, some, some new habits. But we're not after new habits. We're after new hearts. That takes power. That takes the power that raises the dead to life again. That takes the power that can shine into the darkest places with light. We need the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. And we have it. We have access to it. The power belongs to him. The glory and the excellence belongs to him. It's his power. It's so he gets the glory. And the promises are his to give. And we get this, as I've said, through the knowledge of him. The commentator put it this way. David Helm says, True knowledge of God is always attached to a fixed belief in his promises. True knowledge of God is always attached to a fixed belief in his promises. And when we speak of, of knowing him, this isn't just a secret knowledge or something that we internalise in our mind but never live or never action. This is an experiential knowledge. We know him because he has proven to be faithful to us, to be good to us, to be loving to us. John, it was Jonathan Edwards said, there's two ways you can know honey in the same sense of knowing God. You can know honey. You can look at it and you can know it. You can know the colour, you know the consistency, you know it feels sticky, you know where it comes from. You know it's makeup, you can even detail every scientific thing about it. You can know all of that or you can taste it. And that's different. And many of us say we know God. But I even know for myself personally, there's many things I say I know about no I know about God, but I've never tasted. I've never walked in his power in that area of my life. I've never claimed a promise in that area of my life. I've never grown in my knowledge of him, in my reliance on his power and promises. But these are the resources we must call upon. 
the only things we can rely on. And when we have that resource to call upon, we escape. We escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. If we long to escape what this world is doing to us, what our heart is like in this world, if we long to escape that, there's only one place we can go. There's only one source of power we can call upon. And we can have all the qualities he's called us to have in that that wonderful list that Peter gives us. We can have those qualities. They can be ours and increasing if we're drawing on them from the right source. So thinking of this escape, this is how we respond. If we've seen our problem and we forget the gospel, that we need to uh, then go to the resource of God's divine power and precious promises, how do we respond to this? Because we can't just leave it at the knowledge of the existence of this warehouse of resources or this great salvation and divine power and promises. We have to act on what we know. As we said before, make every effort. Be diligent. How do we respond? Well, first step of response is seeing and acknowledging that if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in him, his finished work, his done work, as we talked about this morning, see that God is not holding anything back from you that you need for this life. God is not holding anything back that you need in this life. It may feel that way. It may feel like God has been in his warehouse, he's just holding back to the side for a rainy day, but God doesn't work like that. If you are in Christ, we are told, you are given everything you need. It is done, it is finished. So the fault is never on God's side in matters of life and of godliness. He's done what he needs to. His salvation is perfect. So don't think you've exhausted all the ways to live a full life, all the ways to live a holy life, if you have not come and sat and thought about the power of God and the promises of God and called upon them. Because chances are, if we haven't done this, what we usually are left with when we face life and we try to become holy is excuses as to why we're not doing certain things or why we're not growing in certain ways. Addiction might say, I can't say no. But God says, I've given you everything you need to live a life free from enslavement in this world. Bitterness might say, I can't forgive. But God says, I've forgiven you everything, so you have everything you need to forgive others. Pride says, I can't say sorry. And God says, I've humbled 
myself so you have all you need to be humble. Fear says, I can't face this. And God says, don't worry about tomorrow. I've given you everything you need for today. If you have things in your life, you say, I can't look to what his divine power has granted all things. Ask ourselves this morning as well, just as Peter is putting to these early believers, are these qualities yours and increasing? We can look at some of them and go, yes, I, I, can, I can see that in my life. Or oh, even a greater blessing and something you can share with others is so I can see that in someone else's life and to encourage them in that. It's a wonderful thing to do. I see that quality and I see it's growing. But we look at the rest of the list and go, oh, I wish I could grow in that area. You have what you need to grow in that area. And maybe the first step this morning, if there's something in your life, you go, I wish I could grow in reliance on God in that area is sharing that, asking someone to pray with you about that. And when we see this huge task, life and godliness, everything, and we see a little person, us, weak, helpless, hopeless, sinful, still prone to a body that loves sin at times, a body that breaks down. Our only hope is to look to a great help, God's divine power and greatly precious promises. If God has given you everything you need, why look elsewhere? So what will your responses be like as we consider growing in reliance on God's power and promises this week? There's two ways we can look at life. Again, it's Paul Tripp sharing this. You can look at all your internal and external challenges from the perspective of your track record and a present catalogue of your abilities. Or you can look at them from the vantage point of the sufficiency of the work of Jesus on your behalf. The Bible was not given to radically alter your identity and potential, but to radically alter the way you think about and interpret life. You are not left to your own resources. Because you are in Christ, your potential is greater than the sum of your parts. You are never in any situation or location all by yourself. Never. As a church here at Marion, we have to grow in our reliance on God's power and trust in his promises. We face many things as a collective church in this year ahead. And if we do not rely on God to meet our needs, if we do not rely on his power, on his promises, we'll soon trust in other things. We'll trust in programs, certain leaders, certain agendas, instead of doing what God has called us and equipped us to do. Again, 
the best application maybe this morning is to pray for the person sitting next to you or in front of you that they would see their greatest need is to rely on God. We have knowledge of God. We'll unpack more of that next week. We have knowledge of God only because he's revealed himself to us. We get to participate in his divine nature only because he has come and taken on our nature. And we receive his promises because he is great and he is precious and he is a good heavenly father. Let's pray. Father, we have no other option but to call upon you. We need help. You have saved us by sending your son and all those who have looked to him and found life find freedom and salvation. We praise you for that. That is your work. That is your doing. And Lord, just as he died in our place on the cross, he rose from the dead with the power, your power, making us right and justified with you. Lord, by your grace and by your spirit, enable us to live the lives you've called us to live. Help us to grow in relying on your power alone. In Jesus' name, amen.